0: Chapter six of Tim by Howard Sturgis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dorleen Kaplan. It must not be supposed that life was uniformly dark to Tim in these early days at Eton. He had sources of happiness quite distinct from his glimpses of Carol, which had certainly turned out less satisfactory than his hopes. After the dormice episode, he was shyer and more constrained in the presence of his fagmaster than ever, but he had found and always kept a marvellously kind understanding and tender friend in his tutor, whose manly gentle soul went forth to this forlorn little specimen of suffering humanity. He readily guessed that the path of such a baby could not but be thorny, and though he was necessarily obliged for many reasons to ignore much of what he knew, and the whole of what he suspected, he managed in a hundred small ways to soften the existence of the youngest and dreariest of his pupils. If I do not say much of Tim's Eaton tutor, and the large part he filled in his history, is because while among several thousand boys who have passed through the school in the last twenty years, to describe two or three is fairly safe it were quite otherwise to draw anything like an accurate picture of one of the comparatively few men who have filled the post of tutor there during the same period. So I may only note in passing the fact of his untiring and thoughtful kindness and the grateful affection it elicited in return. His study was a haven of refuge to Tim on many a rainy after four, while the employment said by Dr. Watts to be provided for that class of member was busily occupying numerous pairs of idle hands in other parts of the house. There, or on the banks of the kind old river in the shady playing fields, he spent long happy hours with Scott or Shakespeare for a companion. Mr. Ebbisley was liberal in the matter of pocket money, and as Tim's tastes were not as a rule expensive, he was able to revel in delightful books. Had his examination been in authors of his own selection, I have no doubt he would have attained the highest honors. Another favorite resort of his was the old chapel in the castle at Windsor. The grand quiet of the place, with its dim colored light and ghostly armorial flags ranged overhead, soothed and comforted him after many a bitter childish trial. But the highest pleasure came from the pealing organ and the pure, true voices of one of the best of English choirs. To Tim whose soul was full of melody but whose only experience of sacred music had been the not very perfect performances in the village church at home the grand outbursts of song which the great musicians had given from their hearts to the worship of god were as waters in the desert the first time he heard the beautiful prayer that mendelssohn had wedded to immortal music the yearning for dove's wings to fly away and be at breast Rendered by a fresh boy's voice, the tears gathered in his eyes, and he forgot where he was, standing wrapped in an ecstasy, his soul afloat on the wings of the music. It seemed to him as if he and this other boy, no older than himself, were somehow one, that the pearly notes he was listening to did not come from the shiny, emotionless little chorister whose mouth was moving, but from the inmost depths of his own heart." Tim could not really sing a note, though he would dearly have liked to, but he often had this feeling afterwards, in the following winter, when he joined the musical society and used to sit silent and happy between two deep-lunged little monsters and have all the sensation of pouring forth his being in song. Carol, who had a lusty baritone and a fondness for music of the more robust and cheerful order, having been ordered to recruit trebles at his tutors, and finding the lower boys for the most part unwilling to display their accomplishments, had had recourse in despair to his fag, who was, of course, enchanted with the prospect. "'I'm afraid I shan't be much use, but I should like to come,' he said modestly, and come he did, with exemplary punctuality." His relations with his contemporaries were still, for the most part, lacking in cordiality. He had no gift of making himself known to them, and they were not sufficiently interested in him to take trouble in getting to know him. The discovery at the beginning of the Michael Mass half that he was forbidden to play football set the finishing touch to the contempt his fellows were inclined to entertain for him and except in school or at the musical society he came in contact with no boys but such as boarded at his tutors there was one youth however who contrary to all likelihood took a desultory interest in tim and that was tommy weston the episode of the dormice had disclosed to tommy certain things about tim that lay outside the range of his daily observation of life and character and being of an inquiring turn of mind He determined to frequent this new specimen of boy, taking at first a purely analytic and microscopic view of him, with which, as the weeks went by, something of a kindlier and more human sentiment began to mingle. I don't know what has become of Tommy Weston since, but in those days he promised to be a very remarkable man. He possessed indomitable tenacity and strength of purpose, coupled with a mercurial gaiety of temperament, endless patience, entire disregard of public opinion, immense courage, a keen sense of the ridiculous, and a composure and self-possession on which the most trying circumstances were powerless to produce any effect. To Tim, he was a most marvelous outcome. At first, the little boy was rather alarmed by this remarkable phenomenon, though humbly grateful for his attentions, but by degrees he came to be more at home with him, and Tommy was the only person to whom he ever confided some part of his feeling for Carol, only a very little and in moments of rare expansion, for Tommy was not sentimental and regarded subjective conversation as more or less profitless. But the shy revelations of character made by Tim struck him, as I have said, "'as a queer start, and as such were regarded by him "'with a wonder which that youth was glad to mistake for sympathy.
1: "'It is certainly not on the principle of Mary and the Lamb,'
0: "'he said to himself,
1: "'that Skinny's partiality can be explained, "'for Darley don't love the Lamb, you know.'
0: "'Fancy Skinny wandering into Tudor's upper set at Private and Village, "'and all of them hollering out in pupil room, "'What What makes makes the the Lamb lamb love love Curly so?" so?' and he was so tickled by the weirdness of this notion that he accosted Tim as Lambkin next time he saw him and chuckled to himself, remarking generally, What rot
1: nursery wines were!
0: in a manner calculated to mystify that simple-minded young person. Indeed, he was in such high good humor that he invited him into his room, an apartment decorated with all manner of ingenious inventions from designs of Tommy's own, such as an elaborate apparatus in which the poker was involved for shutting the window without leaving bed, and another by which water was discharged on any assailant who might attempt to turn the sleeping inhabitant up in that piece of furniture. This last machine, which was constructed with much ingenuity out of a bandbox, a broken jug, seven yards of twine, the leg of one of his chairs, propped in the absence of its limb on his hat-box and the cover of his greatest was subsequently destroyed by his tutor. After deluging the matron, Tommy swore accidentally, who was coming to administer medicine when he stayed out in collection week. These and similar treasures were displayed to the wondering eyes of Skinny, as well as a cardboard box in which he kept the prime fetishes of his worship. His name, which it is hardly necessary to mention was not Tommy, and the date of his birth, written very neatly in his own blood, a sheet of broad rule completely covered with a design in concentric and intersecting circles of which the object did not distinctly appear, and another on which he had jotted down the numbers of all the cabs he had ever ridden in on his rare visits to the metropolis, and reduced the added result by some process inscrutable by the unmathematical mind to pounds, shillings, and pence. Now it happened one Sunday in the Lent term, when the flats around Eton were swept by a relentless east wind, that Tommy had agreed with a kindred soul from another house to go with him to the Ditton Woods and gather primroses, Not that the primrose by the river's brim was anything more to either of them than the yellow primrose it was to the gentleman in the poem, but it lent an object to their walk and a delicious flavor of the illegal in the combined facts that they would trespass and very probably be late for lock-up, which in those days, when chapel was at three, closed the period of Sunday afternoon leisure, "'Whether Tommy's friend was detected talking in chapel "'and made to stay at home and do his Sunday questions, "'or merely turned lazy and preferred to read a book by the fire, "'I have no means of deciding with certainty. "'But the fact remains that he threw Tommy over "'when it was too late to make other arrangements, "'to the no small disgust of Master Weston, "'who was not fond of abandoning any enterprise he had once formed.' In these straits he bethought him of Tim, who was quite sure to have no engagement, and went in search of him. Tim was writing his weekly letter to his father, but consented readily to accompany him, if he would wait till he had finished, and the concluding sentences were rendered even more laborious than usual to the scribe by the distracting behavior of his companion, who was occupying the interval with a sort of highland fling while well, he sang to a well-known Scottish air, just then familiarized to southern ears by the base uses of a comic song, these remarkable words.
1: Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, the costermonger's donkey.
0: Oh, please, Tommy, don't make that dreadful noise, said poor Tim. How can I get done? Dreadful noise, indeed. It's a Sabbath hymn, you profane little wretch retorted the irrepressible at the same time pulling Tim's inky pen upwards through his fingers to teach him, as he said, proper respect to his elders. At length, the epistle was concluded, and when Tommy had stuck the stamps on wrong side up in the bottom left-hand corner, which called forth a severe little lecture on slovenly ways in Tim's next letter from home, they started on their walk. Through the college and playing fields, all went well, but once in the open fields beyond, their progress was considerably retarded by various skirmishes with the class magnificently lumped together by the boys in their sublime, innocent snobbishness as cads, and including the sons of all tradesmen, farmers, and the laboring classes generally who happened to inhabit the neighborhood. There was not a cad within miles with whom Tommy was not on intimate terms." He knew the Christian names, pursuits, and family history of every old man or woman who drove into Eden for purposes of trade and barter, the commodities in which they dealt, and the days when they might be expected. There was one elderly lady whom he addressed as Sarah, and to whom he invariably offered marriage, regardless of the fact that she was a matron of many years standing, and an old man in a red waistcoat who had business relations with someone in the town would hang about for hours watching for an opportunity to slip unnoticed past the window from which this awful boy had a torrent of ever-varying chaff and nicknames ready to pour out upon him on all occasions. With a rising generation of cadum, the lads of his own age or a little older, his relations were, however, by no means so friendly. He had fought with nearly all, and licked most, and on the few herculean youths who had succeeded in forcing him to beat a retreat his vengeance had subsequently descended when their evil stars led them to pass his dwelling in the form of coals sugar earth from his flower-box or the inside round of paper off the tops of raspberry jam sometimes the pot itself if nearly empty of its succulent contents would startle the echoes of a dark night as it crashed to ruin against the palings of the opposite house, while a muttered curse succeeded the jaunty whistling of the passing victim. The two boys were crossing a plowed field where the ridges on which they stepped crumbled beneath their feet, dry and powdery under the march wind, when they encountered a detachment of small boys of the class described above headed by a youth a few years older than the rest, who wore his hat on one side in a raffish manner, calculated to provoke remark. Tommy inquired politely if it was stuck on with glue, or how otherwise it retains its position.
1: "'Just you old your row, young Weston,'
0: retorted the insulted party. "'I knows you,' thus implying some mysterious secret hold over Tommy, which that youth was hasty to repudiate.' Take care not to come too close," he replied with studied moderation.
1: "Or I may hurt you." "What you? You're too young and too small. Hit one of your own size,"
0: said the champion, and all the satellites applauded. Tommy, feeling the moment for decisive action had arrived, made a threatening advance. Whereupon the small fry scattered and fled and their leader seeing himself abandoned by his myrmidons also retired but in good order and still hurling taunts which increased in bitterness in proportion as the chances of pursuit seemed to grow less tim i need not say was made very unhappy by this sort of encounter and what with these numerous delays and the fact that they had started late for their walk the brief afternoon was already far spent when they arrived at the paling they must climb to enter the park. Tim pulled out his watch and looked at it doubtfully. We haven't more than time to get home before lock-up, he said. Well, inquired Tommy, who was already astride upon the paling as though Tim had started some question entirely foreign to the matter in hand. If we go on, we shall be late, persisted Tim.
1: ''Oh, is that all?''
0: said Tommy, who had a sublime contempt for law when it interfered in any way with what he proposed to himself to do. As I have said, the primroses were less than nothing to him, but having started to pick primroses, primroses he would pick, and a lion in the path would not have deterred him for a moment. Now Tim had, on the contrary, profound respect for law and order, and if he unwittingly transgressed the most formal of little school rules, felt unhappy and criminal for days afterwards. I think I shall go back, he said after a pause.
1: You may do as you please,
0: said his companion.
1: I'm going to get primroses.
0: And therewith he slid down on the other side of the paling and was lost to view. Are you coming? he shouted back. Tim still stood irresolute. He was alone tommy having vanished it seemed easier to withstand his influence than when under that cold eye from the top of the fence he was cold he did not want to be out late he did not want to get a pina above all he did not want to shirk fagging i shall go back he persisted and he went give my love to tudor tommy called from within and tell him not to worry
1: about me "'I shall most likely be back for early school tomorrow.'
0: "'Tim had a dreary walk homewards. "'The wind which had before been with them "'was now in his face, and he had to butt at it, "'head down and hands deep in his trouser pockets. "'Discomforts became prominent "'which had before only made a scarcely noticed background "'to Tommy's enlivening conversation "'and the somewhat perilous excitement "'of his passages of wit with the passers-by. Tim began to wonder vaguely, not without terror, whether he would fall into any of the wasps' nets that his companion had so successfully stirred up as they came along. Visions of angry cats, still smarting with a sense of unavenged insults, flitted through his uneasy mind, and caused him to hug the hedgerows rather than launch across the bare fields, where his figure would be a more conspicuous object. He tried to determine on a course of action in case of attack. Tommy, he had observed, advanced boldly in such cases, assumed the aggressive attitude, and the assailants fled. It seemed to him a fresh proof of the unsatisfactoriness with which matters were arranged in this world, that the people who seemed to possess the knack of coming scot-free out of awkward situations were precisely those to whom it was of least importance to do so. Something told him, that it would be in vain for him to attempt the same line as Tommy. Some irresolution or faltering at the last minute would be sure to betray him, and assumed boldness would only make his position the less pleasant. The conviction was forced upon him that to make your antagonist unwilling to fight, you must be genuinely anxious to do so, and in that case, reasoned he, there would be no pleasure but the reverse in seeing the other fellow sheer off all of which seemed to him mysterious and unkind. It would surely have been as easy to settle human nature on a plan that should enable each individual to obtain what he wanted, nor were his apprehensions altogether groundless. As he passed along one of the leafless hedges, a hard object whizzed by him and rattled on the frozen turf beside him. There was little or no doubt it was a stone. Through the hedge, which was thick and tangled, though the leaves were off, he could dimly detect moving forms and smothered laughter. He tried to persuade himself that the thrower had only aimed at something in the hedge, and that if he kept quiet they would pass on without noticing him. So he crouched down as close to the bank as possible and kept very still. I am compelled, as a truthful biographer, to admit that physical courage was not a characteristic of my hero, and as he held his breath in the undignified attitude he had assumed, He could hear his heart beat loud with apprehension. There was a pause, and then a muttered conference, and presently another stone followed the first. Placed as he was, Tim was pretty safe, and two or three succeeding missiles passed innocently over him. Then came another pause. The attacking party were surprised that no attempt was made to return fire, and they feared an ambush. The fact was that he of the Hat had joined forces with some other lads of his own size, discarding the crew of weaklings who had deserted him in his hour of need, and they had taken up a position in which to waylay Tommy on his return to Eden, and seize an unique opportunity of wiping off old scores by humiliating their enemy without doing him any great injury. It is only fair to them to state— that there is no good ground for supposing that they deliberately attacked him knowing him to be alone they probably thought his warlike friend was with him and the stones were only meant to open the affair and force tommy to disclose himself having debated among themselves they could think of no better plan than to fire another volley which they accordingly did and Tim had closed his eyes and given himself up for lost when he heard unmistakable signs of terror and confusion behind the hedge, and then the sound of a general stampede of hastily retreating footsteps. The next minute, someone cleared the hedge and alighted close to him, and a well-known voice exclaimed,
1: The brutes! They were rocking a little fellow! I wish to goodness I'd caught one of them! Hello, Ebersley! Is that you?' "'Why, how the deuce did you get into that sort of row?'
0: "'Tim hardly yet realized that it was Carol "'who had dropped, as it were, "'out of the gray sky for his deliverance, "'and who now stood before him "'with cheeks flushed by wind and running, "'holding out large, kind hands "'to pull him onto his feet again. "'He felt relieved and grateful, "'and yet somewhat ashamed of the position "'in which he had been discovered, "'and began hastily to explain i had gone to walk with weston and he said something to that fellow and he didn't like it and weston went after him and he ran away and then we separated because i wanted to get back
1: and our friend meanwhile conceived the brilliant plan of lying in wait for you and shying stones at you from behind a hedge what distinguished
0: bravery interrupted village miner who had been with carol and who now joined the party through an adjacent gap
1: "'What an infernal
0: coward!' cried Darley, whose eyes flashed with martial ardor.
1: "'He is, luckily for him, beyond the reach of chastisement for the present,'
0: rejoined the more phlegmatic village.
1: "'Though I flatter myself that a well-directed pebble was not altogether without effect on the calf of his leg. "'You'd better cut home, Ebbersley, if you want to be in time for lock-up, and thank your stars Darley and I happened to come along when we did.'
0: "'Tim would have liked to thank them.' but found no words, so trotted off as fast as his legs would carry him. "'It's just as I thought, Curly,' continued Village, as he and Carol followed at a more leisurely pace.
1: "'It's that little monster Weston who has brought you, your unhappy fag, into scrape in which we found him. I saw them together the other day, and reflected that collapse must sooner or later be the fate of such a frail little vessel in the same stream with such an iron pot as Master Tommy.'
0: But Carroll did not at once answer. He was watching the queer little figures scudding along in front of them, and the sight of that small form, buffeted by the bitter weather, somehow suggested to him how unfit such a creature must be to fight his way through the rough places of lower boy life.
1: Do you remember?
0: Village continued, also looking at Tim.
1: How much exercised you were when Ebersley first came as to what you could do for him, in the way of looking after him and that sort of thing. I'm thinking that this piece of knight-errantry of yours in his behalf comes most happily to solve the difficulty. You could hardly have done him a better turn, or looked after him to more purpose than by snatching him from the fate of the first martyr. There's not much knight, what's-his-name, in having a lot of lubbery beasts run away when you look at him,
0: replied Carol modestly.
1: "'Seriously, though, it had just occurred to me "'that perhaps I hadn't done all I might have "'to make that poor little fellow's life easy to him. "'I can't see that it's incumbent on you "'to act dry-nurse to all my tutor scugs. "'You might keep a piece of pumice stone in your room "'to take the ink off their grimy little hands, "'or save up the rough copies of your verses "'to stuff your young friend's hat "'and keep it a hair's breadth or two higher above his ears. "'But I really don't see what else you could do for him.' "'Don't you think such a boy as that "'must be rather bullied among the small fellows? "'Oh, I dare say not a bit more than is good for him. "'And besides, if Tommy's taking him up, he'll be all right. "'For though he'll probably land him in rows with the beaks, "'he's an oracle among the lower boys, "'and if he says he's a good sort, "'they'll all discover they always said so. "'So don't make yourself unhappy about him.'
0: "'And as Carol was not fond of making himself unhappy, "'he took the advice.' End of chapter six, recording by Darlene Kaplan.